just when you thought it was safe to podcast. Anyway, let's do this. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the 30th anniversary of the film The Monster Squad, and we're going to be talking about the reboot of DuckTales that just recently hit Disney XD. But before we get into any of that, you might be wondering where the hell I've been. Well, what started as a week or two, I guess, break hiatus from the podcast, just due to scheduling, due to the lack of anything really that interesting to talk about. Um, as you guys probably know, because I mentioned it on here before, I'm not really big into Game of Thrones, and if you've seen the box office these days, there's not a whole lot to talk about, at least nothing that nothing that really spoke to me. In fact, I felt confident enough to drop a summer movie recap at the beginning of August. That's how, that's how dead the rest of the schedule um, basically has been. Sure, we had The Dark Tower, we had Annabelle Creation, but there's nothing exactly that makes me want to pop in the mic and, you know, uh, and lend my my educated uh, opinion about um, nothing that's really inspired me to um, to jump back on the mic. And as you guys probably know, with any with any habit, um, taking a, a t- taking a brief hiatus from something that is um, become sort of part of your weekly routine is. It's a little bit of a slippery slope, and so because of that, skipping one week of the podcast turned into, oh crap, I need to podcast again. And, um, you know, I, I've had things, there's been a couple things like I'm, I'm going to talk about, you know, this episode and the next episode and that kind of thing, but um, nothing nothing super compelling, because as you know, late August, early September is a little bit of a, a dead zone for, and not, not a Stephen King reference, although it t- totally works that way, coming between... Dark Tower and it, because basically between those release dates, there isn't a whole lot uh, exciting coming out of Hollywood. But uh, August, September, and usually like January tend to be tend to be the kind of the dead spots uh, at the box office. And since this is about the world of film from a fresh angle, um, there hasn't been really much where I can offer my fresh take on, or that I had uh, had a take on to begin with. Um, I haven't really seen that many of these recent releases, just because that. Uh, hasn't really been anything that's that's um, really stood out to me. I mean, now coming in next month, when we have um, It and Mother and Kingsman, The Golden Circle, there's a lot more for me to dig into. So I plan on getting back to doing this on a weekly basis. I think that was a, a, um, a good way for me to voice my opinion on recent releases or, or uh, you know, celebrate other things that, that really jump out in pop culture. And um, I, th- I think that was a good regular schedule to stick with, and I maintained it from March until August. So I'm going intending on getting back to that. And because I have taken such a, a uh, unanticipated break from podcasting, I will be doing uh, a little bit of penance for myself and kind of catching back up with the number of episodes that we should have uh, been posting in those ensuing weeks. So you might see the next week or so, you might see several episodes drop in the podcast feed on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you're listening to the Crooked Table podcast, um, just as my way of sort of catching up with where I left off. And, uh, <laughs> you know, full transparency here, full, um, just 
you know, me trying to teach myself a lesson and trying to keep myself on task because I do, I do like doing this every week. It is hard for me sometimes to make time based on, you know, other work that I have going on or, you know, I was, you know, raising a baby and that kind of thing, spending time with family. And that's another thing. August is very heavy birthday month for both sides of my family. So it's been a lot of like trips to the beach and, and, uh, you know, spending time with family and that kind of thing that has also helped the podcasting side of things sort of get pushed down uh, on my to-do list a little bit, coupled with the fact that there hasn't been really that much to talk about. So that's changing now. This one, episode 60, we're going to be ramping things back up and uh, and getting back in the regular swing of things. After our initial just, you know, catch-up uh, spurt of episodes that you should be dropping within, you know, probably within the next few days uh, as I'm recording this. So that, without further ado, let's... Uh, Let's go into the first of the two topics that we're going to be talking about today. So, back in August of 1987, uh, August 14th, 1987, that's the other reason I wanted to make sure I dropped this episode while it was still August, there was a film that came out called The Monster Squad, and um, we're going to get into that a little bit, and I'm just going to talk about what that film means to me and uh, why I think it's so great. But before we do that, some of you younger listeners especially might not really know what the Monster Squad is, so let's listen to a little bit of the truck. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like my own advice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. Naughty virgins! They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves! But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh! Look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? Do I have a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something's out there that's killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's going to do a thing about it but us. Soon the creatures of the night shall rule the world. Real monsters? Us? Midnight in the world, remember? Maybe if we can be like Mask Squad instead, you know, do Mask Bombs. Yeah, 1035, back up! Hurry up! Mask Squad! Don't you see it's all true? By midnight... You guys! They won't seem so young anymore. <laughs> Monster Squad. Wolfman's gone nards. Wolfman's got nards indeed. So this film, as I mentioned, came out in 1987. It's from director Fred Decker, whose really only other directorial credits, at least according to IMDb, are uh, Night of the Creeps in 1986, the year before this, and RoboCop 3 in 1993. Uh, probably, uh, probably, probably best we forget that that last one. Um, RoboCop 3 is, uh, I think, widely considered a cinematic abomination. 
But uh, Monster Squad was even co-written by Decker and Shane Black. Yes, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, Lethal Weapon, Shane Black. So maybe that that uh, is a testament to why the film still feels fresh. Um, for me, coming into this movie, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because, well, one, 30 years is a big deal for any film, let alone a, a movie like this that, for for me, growing up, this was always one of my go-to Halloween movies. Um, as a kid, you know, you can, you know, ten years old, you're not really usually allowed to watch Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or any of the other classic slasher films, that kind of things, because of the violence, obviously. Um, but the Monster Squad has that perfect '80s blend of being a kids' movie, but not toning down the violence. And there's scenes in here where, well, let's get into the plot. This film is about, as you could probably tell by the trailer, a team of uh, of kids. I say they're like tween to teens, like early teens. I think their oldest member is probably about probably supposed to be about fifteen or sixteen, but most of them are around thirteen years old. <clears throat> and this film was very clearly influenced by the success of The Goonies and that whole uh, that whole throng of kids are getting on an adventure and yeah there's adults but they're not there so we gotta have to rise up to the to the uh you know to face these supernatural foes and that kind of thing and uh the monster squad really fits in line with that cinematic trend back in the mid 80s and they have a club called the monster squad hence the title where they uh, they meet up they discuss monster movies they quiz each other on uh, you know, how do you kill a werewolf? And, you know, who, who created, uh, you know, what's, what's Frank, what's the name of the, the monster in Frankenstein? And, and, uh, and things like that. Then, you know, basically it's kind of a, a horror appreciation club um, for little kids who are, who are obsessed with monsters. Of course, when monsters end up popping up in their small town, they feel like they're the only ones um, equipped to, to face off against the likes of Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and of course Frankenstein. Uh, I think I hit them all. Yeah, that's pretty much. So, um, the latter of which plays a specific, very specific role, and uh, in the film itself. But so all these monsters pop up in their town, and they uh, they basically have to prepare themselves for an impending apocalypse and uh, basically save the world. So this is a bunch of kids facing these classic universal monsters and uh, saving the world from destruction. So there you go, just from that premise alone, kind of the, uh, the child empowerment of, of, that, uh, of that premise and um, the built-in appeal that it has for younger audiences. I fell for that hook, line, and sinker. And I love that the film doesn't shy away from the violence, as I was saying a minute ago. There are scenes in here where Dracula, like, straight up is walking towards, you know, stalking his prey, and, you know, police officers and stuff are coming up to him. He straight up snaps their neck with one swift move. So this is not a movie that that uh, sanitizes the more violent aspects of these characters. In fact, I think Dracula in this film is actually played by, uh, let's see, played by Duncan Regger. I'm not sure how to say his last name. Um... He, I think he's still really terrifying, and I would probably consider him one of my favorite cinematic Draculas, just because he just has so, so, such a presence to him. Um, in addition, Tom Noonan is Frankenstein's monster here, uh, very much sort of falling into the E.T. type of uh, vibe, where you're not sure if he, initially if he's threatening, he ends up becoming um, a big... Uh, 
an important figure for the children in this case, specifically a younger girl played by Ashley Bank. So it, it very you can see in this film a lot of the DNA of films, like I said, The Goonies or um, E.T. It's very much an Amblin-style film, but it's not an Amblin film. Um, so in that way, I could see some people looking at this now and, and feeling like it's really derivative, but if this is a film that you grew up with, you don't really care about any of that. You just see this really fun adventure um, with these kids fighting these iconic monsters. And, uh, you know, a lot of these actors didn't really go on to do that that much uh, beyond this. Or if they did, they didn't really, they, none of them ever really blew up. There's no one in here that's like a Sean Astin that, uh, you know, went on to become a major star in Lord of the Rings or some other things. There's uh, Andre Gower plays the lead. And I don't really think he was in a whole lot of, of uh, monstrously successful things after this. Um, he's guys got some TV work and that kind of thing, but none of the the cast from this film really broke out, and I think that's a real shame because there's a lot of talented child actors in this film that um, that make it a, a lot of fun to watch, and it's developed sort of a cult following over the years, probably because of people like me still talking about it 30 years later, but. Um, I think rightfully so. I mean, I think The Monster Squad, and it's been maybe a year or two since I've seen it. I think, I don't remember if I watched it last Halloween, but of course I'll be getting ready to gear that up um, in October again. I think um, I think it definitely holds up. It's still a lot of fun to watch. And when you, know, when you grow up with certain films and then you go back and watch them, a lot of times, I mean, I watched the Garbage Pail Kids movie as a kid, and I liked it as a kid, and now I wonder what I was thinking and what was wrong with me. And uh, Howard the Duck, which I guess, you know, I, I, come to think of it, I was a big, in, I'm big in, still big into Muppets, and I think that it's just anything with, uh, with puppets, I was just like, what? Puppets? This is my, this is my jam. Um, so I was a sucker for all of that back then. I still am a little bit now, but now I'm more a sucker for Muppets than, rather than anything with puppets. But a lot of times you go back and watch things that you grew up with and you're just like shaking your head thinking, oh my God, this was before I had good taste. This was before I knew what the difference between worthwhile entertainment and piece of shit was. And uh, I think Monster Squad has, I, I'm happy to say it's firmly stayed in the very enjoyable category, no matter what. I mean, there's a mythology behind the monsters that they that they um, they set up. That you know, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm not going to get into the details. And um, they sort of breeze through each monster, but it's not really about that. It's this was basically this movie essentially culminates in in, in an adventure uh, uh, adventure well it's an adventure in an avenger style team up where these five monsters all come together and that iconic shot when they're all standing there together and frankenstein spoilers comes to he comes alive um is still really impactful and the music and everything and so that this film remains really close to my heart as far as monster movies go i even did an article for uh, monkeysfightingrobots.com where i talk about basically the the best crossover films that you need to see um, I should put the link to that actually in the uh, show notes below but uh, if you're uh, at all interested in the current shared universe craze or you're looking for a monster movie to watch with your you know older ish kid I'd say maybe 8 to 10 12 around there uh, I wouldn't put this on for little kids it is kind of scary or it might be kind of scary for little kids. I would not, basically don't put this for your four-year-old. Um, stick to uh, stick to animation and that kind of thing. Um, 
but I, I think this film could uh, could very well be a, an annual Halloween favorite for a lot of you. It probably already is, and I'm really heartened to know that the plans to reboot or remake or whatever have really fallen by the wayside for this one so far. If they do eventually get around to revamping Monster Squad for the modern era, I would like to think that they would go the soft reboot route, maybe bring back some of these child actors, have them be grown up, and then, you know, maybe the monsters reemerge and their own kids form a next generation of Monster Squad. If you're going to do it, that's the way I would do it. I, I don't understand these films that have an established audience, why they want to always go back and uh, pretend that they didn't exist and just start fresh. I think, and I said this on here before, I think that was the big mistake that, that Paul Feig and uh, Sony made with the Ghostbusters reboot last year, which, as you guys know, I, I defend. Uh, I think it's, it's not nearly as... It's not a great film, but there are some merits to it. And I think had it been set real-time following the original films, be like, hey, there was this program called Ghostbusters. Why don't we start it? I think that's a... a that, that film, the reception of that film would have been a lot different. And I think if they do do Monster Squad, I would hope that they would take that approach and not just be like, oh, monster, we should start a thing called the Monster Squad. It's never been done before. Wink, wink. Um, because this is a really fun film, and it's clearly stood the test of time. A lot of people my age, you know, grown up with it and are probably going to introduce it to their kids. I know I'm going to introduce it to mine when they're when when she's the right age. Um, so, you know, it's it's been kind of celebrated and I would definitely check it out if you haven't. Uh, I'm sure it's streaming. I don't believe it's on Netflix or anything like that. But um, seek it out if you can uh, pick. I have the, the what is it? The 20 I think it might be the 20th anniversary a uh, copy on DVD. I, I don't know if it's available on Blu-ray. Brule. Brule. But uh, Monster Squad, highly recommended by me and pretty much everyone in my family. We all we all really like uh, the Monster Squad and consider it sort of a uh, a family classic. So if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. Anyway, that'll be the end of my sort of retrospective on the Monster Squad. Thank you for indulging me as I talk about one of my favorite childhood movies. So let's get into my thoughts on another major 1987 property, at least for me. We talked about Monster Squad, which came out in August of 1987. So let's talk about a major animated series that kicked off in that very same year. Of course, I'm talking about DuckTales and the brand new reboot. So let's hear a little bit of that. tell you guys how tempted I was to just leave the entire theme song in there. Uh, right from the outset, when Disney announced that they were doing a reboot of DuckTales, I was opt cautiously optimistic. Let's put it that way, because DuckTales was a big, big part of my childhood growing up. Um, I remember watching the show pretty regularly after school. Um, a lot of areas of the country had this block of programming called the Disney Afternoon. I'm not sure if 
you know, wherever you're listening from, if they had that. But uh, DuckTales was a big part of it. Um, it's also where Darkwing Duck and Tailspin and Chippendale Rescue Rangers. And that was, this was always one of the major parts of my afternoon. I would get home from school, I would get, you know, get comfortable, whatever, and I would pop on the TV and I would be on Darkwing Duck or DuckTales or any of those shows I just mentioned. Um, I was really into all of that. And, uh, you know, when DuckTales the movie came out, I was into that, the video games and uh, I, we even had, uh, I'm pretty sure I still have some of my old DuckTales toys. So when they announced this, I was hoping it would be it would be good and it would live up to the legacy of DuckTales, basically. Uh, because like Monster Squad, only even more pronounced, I'd say, um, DuckTales was a major, like kind of a home, the hallmark of anyone coming of age or growing up in the late 80s, early 90s. And... Um, you know, when they announced that they were doing the show, I was uh, kind of on the edge of my seat. And then when they released this theme song that I just played a snippet of, uh, I, I felt a little a little more relaxed. I was like, okay, I think they know what they're doing. I think that they that Disney understands how important this is to so many people, and they're not just going to create a new show with similar characters and just slap the DuckTales logo on it. That they are actually taking some care with getting this right and kind of reintroducing it to uh, to modern audiences, but also trying to retain the uh, the nostalgia factor that has played into pretty much the relaunch of just about every brand from the '80s and and you know and uh, and '70s, and now we're getting into '90s and 2000s nostalgia. So the um, the two part premiere, I guess the one hour premiere of this rightfully titled woohoo um which if you don't remember this theme song or you've never sung it before i don't understand because this is to me is probably one of the best television theme songs of the 1980s and that's saying a lot because that was a period the 70s and 80s and, and such were were a period where every show had a, a really catchy jingle uh attached to the beginning of each episode and i think ducktales especially among um, kids shows of this era, DuckTales is up there with like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and it's, it's, uh, replayability and, and, you know, I've, I actually been playing it for my daughter and I, I like to sing the DuckTales theme song to her. I don't need any of your judgment. So, uh, the first episode here was an hour long. It was titled Woohoo and Disney rightfully made it available. I think I downloaded it on iTunes for free and it's also on YouTube streaming. So they, they were really smart in trying to hook people on the show, you know, young people, but mo let's be honest, mostly, what the hell is that? <laughs> My computer's making noise. Um, mostly the 30-somethings and 40-somethings uh, that grew up with this show by having it, having the, the first episode so readily available. They knew that this was their big litmus test to get people to tune into their Disney XD show. So I watched this on... Um, you know, soon after it became available. I know now as I'm posting this, this is a, it's a couple weeks old, that the show is actually scheduled to begin, it's to really begin its first season in late September. But I had to weigh in on this just because, as I said, DuckTales was such a huge part of my life growing up. So we start out and Scrooge McDuck is sort of a retired adventurer. And um, first of all, I think David Tennant does a tremendous job here of capturing the, the spirit of Scrooge McDuck but also, um, you know, sort of modernizing it a little bit. I think he gives him a little bit, 
a little bit, maybe even more of a youthful spirit than he had in the original show. So basically, Donald Duck. It, it's interesting that this show actually all opens up with Donald Duck. Um, Donald Duck was a big part of was it was a part of Ducktales initial run but as to my mind he was never really i mean not that unless i'm i'm remembering this incorrectly which is possible he was never like a regular mainstay he wasn't a a uh he was there and he was around and every once in a while he'd pop up but he wasn't like an ongoing major cast member i don't know if this is the way it's going to be going forward but in this episode donald duck was actually a pretty pivotal part of the uh, of the plot so Donald Duck is starting, he has a job interview, and he's trying to get his nephews, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, who uh, are voiced here by Dan, Danny Pudi, Ben Schwartz, and Bobby Moynihan, which, uh, this show has interesting casting across the board. Um, so he's looking for someone to watch his nephews for the day, and ends up turning to his Uncle Scrooge at the last minute, sort of uh, to his, much to his own chagrin. And having them around digging into Scrooge's backstory and finding out that he did go on all these treasure hunting uh, expeditions, that he was this this uh, renowned uh, adventurer, basically a billionaire Indiana Jones type, um, which is very much part of what makes the original DuckTales so appealing, that yes, he's this, he's, you know, this, this rich kind of tycoon, by day sort of swimming in his vault of coins but he's also you know heads all across the world on hunting for artifacts and, and getting in adventures and fighting monsters sometimes and things like that and i think this show does a great job of recapturing that spirit of adventure that appeals to kids sort of universally across the board right in the first episode i think they, they put you in the thick of things uh i feel like webby has a much more integral part here than at least I remember her having and of course you have Kate Micucci whoever I've talked about on the podcast before about how much I'm really gotten into Garfunkel and Oates in the last few months um, and I think that the the way everything kind of comes comes together is pretty organic I really like Beck Bennett as Launchpad McQuack all the casting decisions were pretty smart um, keeping the theme song as I mentioned on board was was a wise move and I love that right from the very first episode we get Scrooge's arch rival Flintheart Glomgold who was was a big part of the original series growing up uh the one the one I grew up with and um you know he, they they established Scrooge and his his arch nemesis uh from the beginning there's no building up to it there's allusions to the, the Beagle Boys, they mention Ma Beagle, they mention St. Canard, and you can really see this as the beginning of as the beginning of Disney trying to reignite the what is basically the Duckverse. Um, for those of you who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, DuckTales was part of uh, part of a, a little bit of an, an interwoven not really. It wasn't a shared universe, but there were like references and connections between things, between Ducktales, and then there was the character of Gizmo Duck on this show, who was a superhero, sort of a RoboCop take, a take on RoboCop, RoboCop for kids, um, as well as Darkwing Duck, which is sort of a spinoff of Ducktales, I guess. I don't think Darkwing ever really appeared on Ducktales, but Launchpad McQuack is a major supporting player on both shows. So presumably the events of Darkwing Duck take place after the events of DuckTales. Um, 
But this show sort of uh, hints at a much larger world to come. We've already it's already been confirmed that Darkwing is coming on at some point, and um, you know just the the first episode, the fact that we start with Scrooge McDuck getting back into adventuring, he sort of misses it, and his uh, nephews entering his life kind of reignites his passion for that, and he gets goes off on a quest to find the lost city of Atlantis. I uh, I really thought it was interesting that in this version Donald used to be Scrooge's sidekick. I don't remember that being the case in the original show, which like I said ran from 1987, actually ran till 1990, and then the syndication killed it for years. Uh, or syndicate it killed it in syndication. It sounded like syndication killed the show. Well, that's not that's not what I meant. Um, as you guys know, it's, I'm getting back into this uh, podcasting for a few weeks, so if I sound a little rusty, that's what happens, man. Um, but there's there's a cliffhanger here involving Donald, and it, and it, the show just really works. It nails this perfect tone between, um, you know, being comedic and being light because I mean they're after all a bunch of ducks in Duckburg, um, getting uh, getting into adventures and misadventures and the like, and uh, actually having the events have weight, like where we we actually care about Scrooge McDuck, we actually care about uh you know his nephews and webby and all that and we're it, it doesn't feel like uh so light that it's kind of ridiculous and and you know we're invested in the story that's being told so it's hard to base a uh you know my thoughts on a show just whole solely based on the first episode but based on this one hour premiere i think ducktales is is a lot of fun i uh i mean for those of you that grew up with it this is going to give you all the all the feels, all the nostalgia feels, and for those of you that are new to this or have kids that uh, that might enjoy this kind of, I would definitely definitely give this uh, give this a watch. I uh, I think the show does really honor what made Duck Ducktales such a such a such an important show for a lot of kids growing up, just because uh, you know. Not important in that it had the message that it sent or anything. Just it was a really fun sort of escapist uh, entertainment, and I think this new one used closely to that without really overindulging in the modernisms. And you know, Donald Duck is not tweeting or anything like that. It doesn't. It doesn't lean too hard into oh, it's twenty seventeen, but here we are in Duckburg, and you know, let me. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> let me uh, Alexa. <laughs> Let's let's uh, fire up the uh, the plane. We're heading to Atlantis or anything like that. They don't they don't take it to those technological extremes. And if they do, it does it in so in a fanciful way. And um, you know, it's nice to see sort of like it reminds me a little bit of the Peanuts movie. If any of you saw that, I actually thought that was really really cute. Um, and I look forward to introduce. I actually haven't shown that to my my daughter either. Um, granted, she's still an infant, but still, you got to start kids on these things uh, early. Um, I think the Peanuts movie really did a great job of modernizing the look and feel of those classic Charlie Brown characters, but keeping it keeping it uh, just as wholesome as it, as it always was. And similarly, DuckTales obviously is a, a completely redesigned two-dimensional animated look, but um, does feel very much in the essence of the original show. Doesn't really reinvent the wheel, and I don't think it needs to because DuckTales was a good show, and I think you just have to sort of maybe dust it off, freshen it up, maybe make some updated changes as far as uh, you know 
just like the storytelling nuances that back in the 80s might have been whatever, but now in our, you know, uh, more politicized times sort of, um, you know, refresh them a little bit. And I think DuckTales is doing a very good job at uh, capturing a new audience and retaining the old one. So that's my thoughts on DuckTales. And that's all I have for now for this episode. You can rate and review us on iTunes if you'd be so kind. You can also find us on Stitcher. I'm on Twitter at Crooked Table. We're also on Facebook and the other social medias. You can find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies at CrookedTable.com. On the next episode, which I should be recording shortly, we'll be talking about The Tick, another... It's weird how this show is the world of film from a fresh angle, yet I'm sort of catching up. It goes, like I said, goes to show you about how little interesting... Uh, how few and in, few interesting films are out right now that I'm just talking about television every episode just because there's nothing movie-wise that, that needs to be talked about, at least not on my show. So, And I, since I make the decisions, this is my show, that's what we're doing. So we're going to be talking about The Tick, uh, the new Amazon series, as well as Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky, one of the few August releases that does sound interesting, uh, which is why I, I went to see it and uh, I have some thoughts. So... Until then, I've been Rob. We'll catch you around the table next week. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little oh, okay. KED. <laughs>